Welcome to Docs the Podcast. In this episode, we talk about all things DAOs and why you should know about them. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, this is our third recording for what we're calling NFT AMA. Uh, very much education sessions around all things crypto, all things NFT. Uh, I'm Tom, and I am here with uh, Tim. Tim, please say hi. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, excited to talk about this week's topic and hear what question you guys might have. Um, I'm sure Tom and, and I'll repeat this a few other times throughout, but before we kick it off, just a reminder that this is all basically kind of friendly conversation. Um, this is not legal advice. This is not financial advice. Um, this is not tax advice. Always consult your relevant accountants and advisors and attorneys that, that are yours. Um, you know, I always say I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. So um, yeah, happy to chat generally, but just keep that in mind as we go and Tom anything else you want to say at the outset no I think that covers it I do want to I want to ask you a question about that that terminology before we jump into our topic today which is actually DAOs um mm -hmm. I always see people saying you know this is not financial advice is that like a legal disclaimer that's necessary when talking in the financial space or are you covered by law just like saying like I, I don't know like it, it doesn't I feel like it's one of those things that, like, if you posted music on YouTube, you'd be like, oh, but I'm not the copyright owner. It doesn't necessarily clear you of, yeah. of like, the rules right. and regulations of copyright. Right. So there's a couple of things at play. Um, and uh, <laughs> and for those of you out there, this isn't legal advice either. <laughs> it here. Um, no, there's a couple of things at play. But one is, if you are a fiduciary, if you are an advisor, if you are an attorney, you're bound by some pretty important rules, rules of ethics, rules of professional conduct, um, rules that say uh, what it means to advise someone, what it means to form a, a, a pretty important relationship with somebody, right? Whether it's a fiduciary relationship or an attorney-client relationship, those are things that aren't taken lightly by people within the profession and without. And so really those disclaimers, I think, are often used by... Um, they're used by people who have these responsibilities and, and powers, uh, you know, we always joke like, you know, it's, a, it's like a superpower, you can help people with it. And, um, but, but you have to make sure to be clear that, you know, there, there is a line between talking generally about the space and talking generally about stuff and telling somebody what they should do in their specific circumstance. Those are very different things. And we, I say those things to make sure people understand a couple key points. One, I want people to understand that we're not intending to form any sort of relationship. I'm not trying to advise anyone. I'm not trying to be engaged as anyone's attorney. I'm not trying to tell anybody what they should do. But it's also to let them know that the stuff that we're talking about shouldn't be given that weight because it's not being given out with any real analysis or, or thought to their specific circumstances. So just like, you know, <laughs> just like uh, it, this might, you know, I, I use way too many analogies, but if you go on WebMD and type in 10 things, right, it's always cancer, right? But it's because that there's that's not applied to you, right? You, you wouldn't get medical advice from, you know, WebMD because it's not personalized and tailored to your specific facts and circumstances in your body, right? Similarly here, the, the things that people talk about, if they say hey, I think this is going to be a hot token and I'm going to put $10,000 into it. 
um, if you don't remind people that just because you're doing that and it's appropriate for you, it may not be for them, then people may may hear that and give that more credence than you want them to and, and may act on that. And maybe for everyday folks, it's not a big deal. But if you have a professional license, you like to take that stuff seriously and make sure that you make it clear that um, you know none of this should be relied on for your circumstance because every single circumstance is different. Very, very well put. There was so much a, a very Tim answer where I was like, I figured it would be like a one-off. Be like, yeah, no, it's it's something that's necessary moving forward, so just do it. But like the in-depth, I, I appreciate it, man. So cool. Thank you. I will keep doing it. Anytime I post about anything, I'm like, uh, do your own research, not financial advice. I feel like it's it's one of those things, like a best practices, and I had no idea why. So Yeah. And that, that was a very mean answer. It was really long. And I, <laughs> it was good. It was three, but I do want people to understand why, too. It's not yeah. just a magical phrase that you can say to get out of stuff. It's it's trying to really communicate to people and be clear, right, about yeah. the relationship. So. No doubt. All right, cool. Um, great. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for clearing that up for me. Um, but let's jump uh, right into our topic at hand for this session. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about DAOs. Uh, I'm a fairly new to DAOs. I'm currently a part of one. I had no idea what it was moving forward. I thought I was buying just an NFT. Turns out I'm part of, uh, I don't know, like a fractionalized delegation. Uh, so, Tim, if you want to be a little bit more uh, specific in what DAOs are, what they are meant for, how they can be used, uh, just so everybody kind of has like a basic overview. Uh, of what we're going to be talking about, then we can start kind of breaking down the topic at hand and, and asking questions about it and getting some conversation rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we want this to be community driven and community focused. So anybody feel free to queue up a question anytime or even jump in. But um, I think what I'd start with is talking about at a really high level, what, what a DAO perhaps, <laughs> perhaps is at a technical or academic level, and then maybe also just talking about what it is in a practical and real-world uh, you know, way. Because at, at a high level, um, that, you know, a DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, are, are what DAO stands for, or stood for originally. And that was meant to refer to um, an organization whose governance and actions were governed by, you know, self-executing smart contracts. So the ownership and governance was decentralized across the participating network. And it was autonomous in the sense that um, there were, you know, triggers built into smart contracts and self-executing breach-proof contracts governed some decision-making and what to do if proposals passed or didn't pass. And so um, that's sort of how that concept of a decentralized autonomously managed governance structure um, would be deployed. What we're seeing, you know, what, so that, that's sort of what it is at an academic level, at a very high level. Um, what's happening, though, is, is the term is pretty much becoming, it's a becoming a ubiquitous term for a either blockchain native or blockchain friendly or token friendly um, community, right? Whether or not that community is actually got autonomous governance procedures and whether or not there's any true decentralized ownership of, un, of an underlying organization, a DAO now just sort of refers to um, a blockchain native community. Um, 
And so there are some folks who, and admittedly I have been one at times, who tend to try to use the word deliberately to refer to um, to refer to true what what maybe I would call a true DAO, but I don't mean that to diminish any any other organizations or groups. But and there are people who just kind of use the term DAO to say, oh, I'm in 800 DAOs and I'm in this DAO and that DAO, and um, you know, but but really they just kind of mean communities. Um, why it's everywhere, I think, is because it's, it, frankly, I just think it's the next trend um, at the moment. I think it's going to have a moment just like NFTs had a moment last year. Um, the, you know, NFT became one of the most searched, you know, words, I guess, if you call it a word, um, was word of the year last year. I think DAOs are going to have very much um, a similar similar moment this year. Yeah, no doubt. I feel the same way. Um Cool. In my uh, in my brief research of of DAOs for this conversation, uh, a lot of a lot of info came up about DAOs being registered as LLCs. Is that still the case moving forward with DAOs that we're, you think we're seeing um, all over the place now, or are like you said the word DAO or the abbreviation of DAO being decentralized autonomous organization um, just kind of picking up that terminology and then using it freely now like they're readapting the word yeah i think there's a little bit of that right and we don't have to get into whether language should be proscriptive or descriptive that is sure. you know whether we should <laughs> have it mean what we say it means or whether we should use the word the way it's used and it means how we use it right so that that aside i think what you're describing is sort of what's happening people are using the term freely um it, it it's taking on kind of a new life and meaning um, it, which is less technical and perhaps just more community, which is which is exciting. Um, in terms of you mentioned DAOs being registered as LLCs, that's an interesting that's an interesting concept. So there are kind of th three immediate things that brings up that are maybe good jumping off points for questions. And don't worry if nobody asks questions, I can keep talking all day, guys. So um, <laughs> spare yourself, maybe, and raise your hand. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So the first is uh, if if a DAO is truly a DAO, and that is to say, it's a group of people who, let's say, have a treasury that has NFTs and tokens in it, and those people vote on what to do with those tokens, and they're trying to use those tokens to make more tokens, i.e. make a profit, um, then what you have is a group of people who are working together through combined effort to generate profits that they're going to share. And they have proportional rights to those profits, and they have proportional decision-making authority and voting authority. And without any formal organization on file, that starts to look an awful lot like what's referred to as kind of a general partnership. Starts to look like you and a buddy going into a startup, whatever, any business together without anything in writing and starting to carry on a business together for profit. And... The reason that can be concerning is because <clears throat> general partnerships uh, notably don't have limited liability, meaning that in a partnership like that, you're liable for the actions of your partners and you are all kind of on the same hooks and you can have personal liability. All those issues are what kind of spurred on a lot of the adoption of um, and, and even partly the creation of an LLC, a limited liability company back in, I think, the 1970s. Um, but so what you have is we have this kind of new organizational form that is out there. Some people are using it to 
try to make profit. Some people are using it to try and drive decision making and generate returns. Other people are using it so people can vote on what color to make a, you know, avatar, right? It's not a big deal. It's just kind of a community input device. There's similar problems here that kind of, you know, you see mirrored in other parts of Web3, which is that it can really be pretty much anything that architects want it to be. So it's very hard to define. Um, just the same way that some NFTs can be securities and others can't. Some DAOs could be partnerships and some wouldn't. And, and some do have a formal organizational structure behind them. And, and then there's a question of, well, if, if there's an LLC and the LLC forms the DAO, then is participating in the DAO mean that you have an interest in the LLC? Probably not, right? But maybe, like, it, it just gets really vague the, the same way that um, certain attributes that some tokens might have start to start to break down as you really start asking questions and analyzing them. So I think it, they're still very early, but a lot of the issues uh, to me revolve around, okay, what is this really? Just like we talked about when we were talking about NFTs, right? It's, what is this actually doing? Are we a group of people controlling a wallet that we're deciding to vote on funding things and then we're going to maybe generate a profit and if the profit comes back, we're all going to share it? To me, that's very different than I bought an NFT and now I get to vote on what song the band's going to play at a live concert in the sandbox, right? That's a very different thing. So. Yeah, no, that's a great, great dissection of it. Um we did talk uh, briefly about DAOs in the past, and we were talking about legalities between owners, the fractionalized owners within DAOs, where if somebody owns something, they are um, you as a like a cohesive, like a group of people within that DAO um, all share the same responsibilities or liabilities. Is that is that only if the DAO is registered as an LLC, or is that for all functioning DAOs that we're currently seeing? Yeah, so that that's an interesting question. So most limited liability business types, and I'll use words like most, and I'll use words like generally here, because again, I want to make it clear that this is going to vary um, by state. It's going to vary by the very specific facts and circumstances of everything. But um, for the most part, most limited liability structures like an LLC or a limited partnership or... Um, even corporations themselves, where shareholders obviously have different uh, different roles, rights, and responsibilities than partners and partnerships and so on. For the most part, those limited liability options require an affirmative registration, um, which is to say you can't have an LLC if you don't form an LLC and file it. You have to file those articles. Um, you can't have a corporation, for the most part, and in most cases, you can't have an actual corporation without incorporating, right? The, the, on the flip side, though, you can have a partnership without filing anything. You can have a partnership without going down to the you know, secretary of state or division of corporations or whoever it is in your jurisdiction and filing something. You can have a partnership based on you know, actions, based on what you do based on how you're, you're acting in a group. And so one of the things that becomes interesting is there are, some, there are some circumstances where somebody could theoretically find themselves in a situation where somebody might be able to form the impression that they are in a partnership when they didn't intend to be, um, which isn't common. 
but is certainly more possible than somebody accidentally being in being a shareholder of a corporation, for example, where you'd have to have taken somewhere somebody would have had to have incorporated and taken a formal step to form that entity. And so when you say, you know, sharing sharing assets or sharing responsibilities or sharing liabilities, it's it's usually the limiting of that that requires affirmative registrations and affirmative filings. It's not usually the imposition of that, which is why two people could theoretically start a business together. Um, we could decide we're going to go sell lemonade by the side of the road as a, as a, you know, the two of us with no documentation. And I could say, I'm going to buy the lemons, you're going to buy the sugar, and then we're going to split the lemonade money 50-50. And if we both go start doing that, even though we haven't filed anything, arguably, we could be running a general partnership, just based on our actions. Um, and so, the... And again, it, it, that's a wild generalization. So I'm not, <laughs> you'll get a sense here in a, in a theme. Maybe we should call this, I'm not trying to scare you. Um, <laughs> that's a good name. For the, but, it's a good section. Right, yeah, right. We yeah. could have well, intro music for it. <laughs> we need to get some creepy like pipe organ music. I'm not trying to scare you. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's when one wants to limit their liability that usually things have to be filed, like uh, articles of organization or um, articles of incorporation or some sort of notice of a limited partnership or whatever the case may be, state by state, you know, locality by locality. Um, but that's not always the case for, for kind of general shared pooled responsibilities and liabilities that can be formed through act activity in some cases. So what you wind up with is a situation where people, th this is a similar concern, right? To, and you'll sense a lot of these can run together because if, if we have, unfortunately at this point in the recording, our discord bot threw an error and stopped recording during Tim's explanation. We do pick up uh, during a question. So let's jump right into that. My question is, if the DAO becomes an LLC in this instance, does it cease to be a DAO? Because then it's no longer a decentralized, mm. autonomous organization. I love the question. Does that ruin the, the, you know, the definition of a DAO? Right. I, I love this question. And I'll tell you why. Because it does. It takes us back to what we talked about before. What is a DAO? So if by DAO you mean a... Uh, an organization whose ownership is decentralized and governed by blockchain assets, digital assets. That is to say, the owners of this organization, they show their ownership through the purchase and holding of tokens. And now there's an LLC. Arguably, it's no longer on chain. Now, again, there are already companies out there who will deploy LLCs on chain for you and who will make tokens that, that constitute membership interests and try to on-chain an LLC. But that's an LLC. That's not a DAO. Right. So for the most part, what you're getting at is why a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people say like, oh, Tim doesn't like DAOs or Tim doesn't believe in DAOs. And I even joke about it now, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, nothing's a DAO, right? It's not a DAO. It's not a DAO. <laughs> and it's because I, I think... 
once you're an LLC, are you a DAO? You're, 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 you're now being governed by an operating agreement, an LLC operating agreement. You're not being governed necessarily by a smart contract. Now, again, you could have a situation where you make an LLC, you make a token that represents an interest in the LLC, you can write into your operating agreement. In most states, you can write a lot of stuff into LLC operating agreements. As long as it's not illegal, you can do an awful lot with an LLC, which is why they're very popular. They're very, very flexible. But at the end of the day, what you wind up with is this mishmash of how do we classify DAOs as entities? And um, this is the shameless plug for something I wrote like over a year year and a half or something ago, which is, I, I don't really feel like we have a really good uh, bucket, right, from a business organizational standpoint to put DAOs in. And there are some states who are trying to do some innovative things. Wyoming has kind of a smart contract um, amendment to their LLC statute that allows for a lot of flexibility for organizations that wish to form or, or be governed on chain. There are some other states beginning to toy around with similar legislation that's intended to give, I guess, quote unquote, DAOs or however we're, we're defining DAO, but to give DAOs a, a legitimate option, a path to organizational legitimacy, if you will, in those states. I think that's going to be critical going forward. I, I think that it's great that Wyoming is taking, uh, taking steps in that regard. I do think that they're you know, the, the state of the, of the law there does leave a little bit to be desired. But for the most part, what, what you're asking is a really good question, which is, can you have a DAO that is just an LLC? Is it, does it keep the essence that the innovation of what it means to be decentralized and autonomously governed, does that survive if we push it into the box of an LLC? And, and the answer is, I don't know, and I don't think so in most cases. I think that there may need to be, um, there may need to be legislative developments that, that help make this adoption uh, more meaningful. And, and I think this is yet another avenue where we're going to have kind of slow and uncertain regulation and slow and uncertain, frankly, slow and uncertain legality and, and there will probably be some some bumps before it gets better, but maybe I'm wrong. But I think it's it's similar to Web three in general in that regard, where we just don't know how it's going to shake out, and there might need to be there might need to be actual laws passed or actual rules put in place that that give DAOs a path to legitimacy or or actual viability as a, as a registered entity. Yeah. It was super interesting in, in kind of figuring out more about the, uh, more about DAOs prior to this, this conversation, obviously Wyoming came up for me and then going down the rabbit hole of that being the only place that you can, I'm going to say legally, quote unquote, legally register a DAO, uh, even though you don't have to be in the state to register the DAO with Wyoming, it just seems super funny that they adopted it first. Do you know any reason to why Wyoming versus anywhere else? Yeah, there's a few reasons potentially that come to mind. In fact, like um, I, I thought Wyoming would be a really great fit for this type of experimentation 
um, like I said, years ago. And it's because they, they were kind of a good fit for it. Um, a few reasons off the cuff. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm pretty sure Wyoming was the very first state to recognize LLCs. I think Wyoming innovated in that regard. And, and Wyoming recognized limited liability companies before anybody else. That was an innovation at one point in time, right? We have to remember that. That's correct. In 1977, per Google, 1977, uh, Wyoming was the first state to pass legislation allowing a new type of company called a limited liability company. Yeah. Good job, Tim. Good job, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, and and that's because, um, well, well, that right there to me, that, that showed there is a level of business organizational innovation right that Wyoming has previously fostered and the advent of the LLC was brought on i would say obviously adjusted for time right this is i mean rounding here but half a century ago or whatever 40 years something like that the there were some very odd clashes and and there just wasn't a good fit at the time people people didn't want to be a corporation yet they wanted to have the ability to have tax flexibility. They wanted to have the ability to shield themselves from personal liability and have kind of a corporate veil, but without having to have a board of directors and deal with, you know, because maybe there were only four of them and they weren't going to have a bunch of shareholders. And there were these, there were these existing business organizational structures. And then there was this concept of like, these aren't really fitting the need of practical small businesses. So, you know, again, what Wyoming took that as an opportunity to innovate and recognize a completely new hybrid type of entity that was kind of a mix of things at the time. And, and so I think that their willingness to do that previously, um, I think gave a little, a little, uh, nod to the fact that they may be willing to do such a thing again. Um, also Wyoming had shown, um, a reasonable amount of friendliness to, blockchain technology generally, perhaps a little bit earlier. Um, and I don't want to undercut anybody. Else. I mean, a lot of, there were a lot of advocates, right, nationally and globally, but um, Wyoming was trying to find a way to allow people to store records on a blockchain, um, you know, for, for corporate purposes. Um, I think even before they adopted the, the smart contract amendment to their LLC statute. And and they also were doing some, they were involved in some fairly innovative stuff. Um, oh gosh, Google, help me out here. Is it still Avanti Financial? I feel like they might've changed their name. Um, but they, there was a, a, I don't want to get this wrong. I don't know if it was the first, but it was a very early chartered bank that was going to use crypto and, and be kind of tied into the crypto world. Custodia um, Bank? Yeah, that might be it. Um, yeah, like I said, I do recall that they changed their name recently, and so I feel bad I can't call it. But yeah, it was in uh, February. So yeah, so the, so there was a group. Caitlin Long, I think, is a is a she she's a great advocate for the space. Um, she was a driving force behind Custodia. I'll say it right now, um, but which was previously Avanti, and um, her presence up there, um, hosting hackathons and, and you know trying to help push for this change in adoption, I think, was also a factor. So you had kind of a potential willingness to innovate on the front of business organizational law, which they'd done before. And then you had this kind of um, 
willingness to innovate from a kind of infrastructural banking standpoint. And then you had fantastic, smart people up there who are helping push for that change and connecting themselves with educational institutions and supporting the community. And I think all of that kind of culminated in some some favorable legislative movement, right? I think that's kind of how the how the game is played. So when when the question is like, well, why did Wyoming do that? I think it's many different reasons, but I think all those things probably played a played a factor. Awesome. Very cool. Um I want to I want to take the opportunity to let you guys know if you have any questions or you want to bring something up about DAOs, um open forum. Unmute your mic. Um, we'll just get the conversation moving and rolling. So I'll give you guys a second to think of it if you want. And then we can kind of take this in a in a direction that you guys want to see it go with discussion and DAO. Man, we scared somebody away when you said open forum. I know. They're like, oh, not for me. <laughs> You're not a bank Craig again. No, it wasn't Craig. Craig's still here. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, Craig. So, Tim, just... let me ask you this. When it comes to the governance uh, of let's like a business or a business model, is it a cheaper option to go the route of a registered DAO than it would be going the route of a uh, an LLC? Or are you just you're not protected in in regards to having limited liability without getting an LLC? Yeah, I think that's that's a complex question because the the cost of something, right? And you bring this up when you even mention protection at the end. You know, the the cost of something is not as simple always as like a filing fee, right? The the cost is what are the actual costs of carrying on an operation in a certain way. So, I would say that <clears throat> I imagine the filing fee to organize under Wyoming's um, broader statute, right, than than exists most places. Is probably comparable. It's to, very cheap. It's like a hundred dollars for the filing, and then sixty dollars a year for the records. And that seems pretty on par with forming an LLC in in several states. I mean, not everywhere, but some states try to get a lot more revenue from things like that than others. But you know, filing an LLC for you know hundred and something bucks, couple hundred bucks, um, that's you know that's the case in in many states. So the the question of like what's cheaper, well is it cheaper to not pay any filing fee and call yourself a DAO? Well, I mean you're saving the 160 bucks, but are you exposing yourself to risk? Yeah, right? and liability, for sure. Right, right. So um and again, I, I wouldn't think that th- there are a lot of people trying to do this right. There are a lot of people trying to find ways um I guess to put it bluntly, to to fit a square peg in a round hole, um, there are some some groups experimenting with certain co-op laws, co-op registration laws, where you can have like a cooperative style entity that is owned by the cooperators and owned by the participants. Some feel that that better suits a DAO than even an LLC structure, but not every state offers the right type or robust enough co-op organizational models. And so you have some people going to states with very favorable co-op structures and trying to experiment with those. Um, then there's, a, as with anything in the space, there's a lot of additional terminology being thrown around. I've heard the term wrapped DAOs. Um, I think I, I've heard it means different things depending on who I ask, but <laughs> the one that makes sense to me from what I've heard is, a DAO, which basically has a legal structure around it. So the DAO is living within another organization that is proper, like an LLC owns a DAO, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
that's something else that is being experimented with. I've also heard of, uh, of groups experimenting by trying to fractionalize only a small portion of their organization into a DAO. So in other words, maybe form some sort of co-op or LLC or corporation and then take 20% of your company and put that into a co-op organization and then have the co-op organization basically be formed and, and managed on chain. So you have a company that took a portion of its cap table, put that into another form, and then that form is what they tried to turn into a DAO. So the DAO is still not governing the actual parent, I guess you could say parent entity, but is backed by some actual structure, right? So there's all this innovation going on and there's people trying to find the right way to make it work. I think at, a, at an, another great fundamental question here is, um, you know, the, the same way, I think, if I didn't mention this, then I should have, but when people come and say, hey, we want to, you know, we want to do an NFT, I always say, why? Right? Why? What are we doing? Right? What's the accomplishment? Are you just trying to do one? Do you have a purpose? I think DAOs, you know, I start asking myself the same question, which is why? Why are you wanting to have a DAO? And for a lot of folks, when we start having those questions, they say, well, you know, let's take some examples. And I don't want to call anybody out, so I'll be general. But, you know, you have a DAO that wants to go buy a golf course, right? Okay, so, so you're going to pool a bunch of money, and then you're going to go buy a golf course. Who, who's going to mow the grass? Is the DAO going to hire somebody? If the DAO is going to hire somebody, how do you hire? Who, who makes the hiring decision? Is the DAO going to hire a manager to manage the golf course? And if they do, then does that manager have unilateral authority or do they have to run these key decisions by DAO members? Um, and if you do give them unilateral authority by electing them or appointing them the manager, then why are you decentralizing your decision making just to recentralize it? It's that whole, oh, you have an NFT, do you want to print it and hang it on your wall? Right. It's just a question. Of, <laughs> and then people go, well, we could have a DAO where people can kind of vote to appoint certain people to then make, you know, then you have like a group that will all vote and will put 10 people in charge based on votes. And those 10 people will make decisions. And then they'll, those 10 people can put an actual boots on the ground person to run the day to day. And I'm like, this sounds an awful lot like shareholders are electing a board of directors and the board of directors hiring a CEO. That was actually going to that that direction that you just took that it was where I was going to try to push my next question was if there is a CEO or somebody that's overseeing in charge of if elected to the position within a DAO, do they make those unilateral decisions? And if their unilateral decision is to absolve it or do whatever, who is stopping them? Right. So that's where you'd run into, well, we need safeguards. We need somebody to make sure that the whoever that one person who's granted authority can't do anything predatory. And again, a lot of these hurdles, a lot of this isn't being necessarily, you know, walked on for the first time. The, the corporate form, the structure of a corporation has had thought put into it. The, re the reason that a board of directors can control executive compensation, but the, sh and, and the shareholders can vote on that, but you know, the board can make decision-making authority about firing a CEO and a CEO can make, you know, decisions about day-to-day -day operations and shareholders can't directly, you know, vote like board members. I mean, all that has, a, has had a lot of thought put into it over 
I mean, a long period of time. And that stuff was put into place to limit liability, to put checks and balances in place. And I think what we're seeing is is innovation with an eye toward how do we how do we try to crack this without just recreating a corporation? Um, because there are benefits to decentralization if those benefits serve the needs of the organization. Not every, and that's another thing, right? Getting back to that why question, um, you know, when we explain, you know, or you know, we, but I guess I'm using the word when when people in the industry explain to somebody who says, "Oh, we want to turn this into a DAO," and we say, "Great, so you know, we'll we'll." you'll end up turning control over to the community. And they go, well, well, I don't want to lose control of it. It's like, well, what do you think the de- what do you think decentralized would refer to, right? You, there are a lot of benefits to be gained from decentralizing decision-making and gathering diverse viewpoints on issues. I'm not trying to undercut that. And I actually think it's very valuable. I think if you have a room full of 10 people who demographically and depending on where you are, tend to share certain demographic traits, you know, historically. And those are the the room of 10 powerful people that can make all the decisions. You don't get the same type of input and you don't get the same type of innovation and you don't get the same type of outcomes one could get if one posed a question to a community at large and got diverse viewpoints all speaking up and trying to contribute unique, you know, thoughts and, and brainstorming and viewpoints to problem solving. I think there really is something there. But the question is, if you're not meaning to do that, if you don't actually want to do that, then maybe the form isn't the right form for you. Just the same way that a corporate form isn't right for every organization, a partnership isn't right for every organization, an LLC isn't right for every organization. There are different organizational structures for a reason, and you don't have to make something fit if it doesn't fit. And so understanding that there is real value to community involvement and community ownership and um, kind of decentralizing or broadening the scope of who you can get proposals and ideas and votes from. I think that's great. Um, The question is, how do we preserve that? How do we preserve that innovation and that value that the spirit of DAOs, I think, is intended to harness without losing it as we try to put in safeguards or add some sort of layer of quasi corporate right uh, protections or governance. How do we keep the good? Let me, uh, I want, I wanted to ask, I actually wanted to ask this. Um, and I, I'm very much like you and like, I, I, I would love to see, um, and we can always circle back to this too, because I think there are, there are other questions too that I still want to hit for other people. I want to open the floor back up, but I do want to make sure we circle back to, um, like you said, not to be scared away from projects that have DAOs, but what to look for um, in protecting ourselves or what we should all look for collectively uh, when we're, we're shown a project that has a DAO. Like what, what are best practices when it comes to, I don't know, taking away what they're trying to put on the table for us to see as uh, potential members of their community? All right. I'm not going to lie to you, Tom. I was reading <laughs> once and I only heard half of what you said. <laughs> No, 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 that's totally fine. Um, Uh, Yeah, I I was trying to reflect on the question that you were reading, and then I think you put a really elegant spin on it. So um, go on, you you take it away. Well, well, I I think, I think we have to look at a a couple of things. What, what I think we're really seeing here is a recognition and a, a change in 
kind of general market participants where people are realizing that mechanisms now at a higher degree than they did before are enabling collaboration, uh, ownership, true digital ownership, um, and are enabling people and communities to be able to participate at levels that were very, very uh, difficult logistically to pull off before. And so I think a big part of people saying, oh, you should join our community, you should join our DAO, I think it's an awful lot of people realizing that the power of community, um, <clears throat> I think, was kind of muffled and lost and muddied by the last however many years of this kind of Web2 highly centralized, massive database, we're the product world that we've been living in. The fact that community members didn't have the power to drive their own communities. And, you know, people who follow or support people on traditional social media platforms don't actually have the ability to um, get, have a direct line to those people. Everything's manipulated, right? And so I think what we're, what we're really seeing is people realizing that they can take charge of those relationships and those communities and that ownership, whether you're a creator who's building one or whether you're a participant in one, people are, are really looking for the, uh, the, that level of kind of ownership over their own worlds and communities. And, you know, the example I have used before and um, I'm sure is ever shifting you know, if you make a post on Facebook or Instagram and you have 100,000 followers, I think it's something like 8,000 of that 100,000 will actually see the post organically just because they follow you. I mean, it's like 8% or something. And why is that? Well, because even though that's your following and those people have said they want to follow you, Facebook really wants you to pay them to put that post in front of people. That's their model. So they could, they're not going to show it to everybody for free. They want you to pay them. That's their whole gig. So, um, so what you have is this kind of manipulation of communities and, uh, and, and a lack of control over how to engage with your own community and how communities engage with each other. And people are starting to see that that can shift now. And it's exciting. And people want to do it. And people want to have communities that are, you know, whether they call it a DAO or they call it a community or they call it an NFT group, whatever you, NFT project, whatever you want to call it. I think that's really what's, what's happening is, is people are wanting to form and be a part of these communities because they feel a much stronger sense of ownership and belonging than they felt clicking, you know, put it to you this way and then I'll let uh, somebody else uh, chime in with a question, hopefully. But if you could click follow next to, I don't know, who do the kids like these days? Uh, you can click follow next to a celebrity. That shows you. No, name. you can't. No, can't let you off the hook. Come on. You got to. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so uh, I click follow. Well, let's just go with Kim Kardashian because I think okay. he's still the most followers. I don't know. I'd have to check. So you can click follow next to Kim Kardashian. How much sense of belonging do you get from that? Do you feel like you're part of her community now versus if someone like that were to drop a ten or 20,000 NFT collection, how would you feel, right? One of those things would make you feel a much stronger sense of connection, would make you feel a much stronger sense of um, involvement in that community, and some of that scarcity, to be sure, right? One of those things I just mentioned had a cap and the other didn't. That's fair. 
But one of them also was basically you just telling Twitter what you're into. It wasn't actually connecting you with anybody. You were just telling Twitter, yeah, I'm into this person. <laughs> and that's all you were doing. Versus kind of feeling like you've bought into something, feeling like you're a part of a, of a tighter-knit community where you might actually have some connection. And I, I think that's what we've seen really drive the heart of, of Yuga Labs communities, Board Ape. Um, but I also think that that's what's driving a ton of all these DAOs, join this DAO, join that DAO. It's, it's people craving that real community sense that I think got so diluted and, and lost and manipulated during this huge emergence of these massive data giants that were in between and manipulating all of these relationships over the last decades. Uh, I also think it was part of the addition of value too, where we just saw like an overwhelming amount of like profile picture projects and they were, it's this was the new shiny thing. Let's add yeah, it to yeah. our project and yeah, be a part of uh, not only the community that we built, but be a part of the project on um, like a founder level. And I think that's what, that's what I saw DAOs when they were first introduced to me. Um, uh, kind of representing yeah i think that's fair i really do and, and and i think that you're talking about not only the the feeling of i'm helping to kind of you feel much more involved right i mean wouldn't you say like if you're if you're a part of that dow and you feel feel like you're kind of part of that um that early community right i think you're absolutely right people do yeah. like feel like they're in early in something especially when you look at the space, there's a lot of FOMO generally, right? And people uh, going, oh, man, you know, I mean, gosh, it has, has it been a year or a little longer for, you know, Bored Apes, what, 1,000x return, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that hasn't been that long. But at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for people to recreate that, I, too, I think, as well um, than, than some people might think. It's funny as I think about that quite a bit and all I, I think it would just take a core group of people. Could you imagine if there was a, a project that a bunch of A-list uh, celebrities just aped into how that would change the floor? Um, oh, yeah. Debatably, like they have the control still in pop culture, even in a decentralized, you know, place. So I, I think we'll see it again. Um, and I think you'll see it. Uh, from uh, influencers before you see it from celebrities, but I do I, I do see it probably within the next two years that you'll see another board ape, um, kind of come up for sure. Yeah, I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong or crazy to think that. I think there's got to be more. We are early. There aren't there aren't a ton of people in, um, and I mean obviously as the space matures, there's going to be a lot more people entering the space, which is going to be a lot more demand. And so, no, there's, there's going to have to be more communities like that. The, the question, the, the things that start popping up in the back of my mind are, you know, how fair would it be, though, if all those celebrities knew they were going to do that and talked about it? Oh, exactly. But right? I mean, and, and what about the people they told or the people that might have heard from somebody you heard from somebody you heard from a Telegram group? And how do you, how do you make sure that things like that, if they do happen again, don't happen in a way that's discouraging or unhealthy for the space or, you know, maybe even less than on the up and up. Right. Um, you know, that would be, that would be something that I would be concerned about. Um, you, you shouldn't, in order to land something like that and be part of a really winning community, you shouldn't have to have access to information other people don't have. And so, 
I think uh, I think hey, the communities who grow organically and have strong, strong communities will see that value come over time steadily. And I think that's probably more sustainable. And and there are great communities. I mean, we're in like we're talking right now, right? This is this is a very community focused group with um, good, you know, good vision and good access to great stuff. And and I think that that's what now we're getting back to last week, right? But a lot of this ties together. Just picking picking good communities and being active in them, right? Is probably Absolutely. the best way to go. I see looks like earlier somebody uh was at JT asking about, you know, not everybody's business minded and talking about DAOs um and how and maybe I'm mis misinterpreting the question, but not everyone's business minded, yet a DAO offers that opportunity. I'd personally rather throw my money at someone that's an expert. Um, then let people vote. Yeah, th- I think that's a good. I think it's a good point. I think it's a fair counterpoint to what I said earlier about decentralizing decision making, um, and that there can be some great value to come of that. Um, but but I also think there's something to this comment, which is you don't want every decision necessarily being made that way. Um, it can be operationally exhaustive, um, and you have to start drawing lines somewhere, right? Do you need if you have a hundred people, do you need a majority to agree on a tweet you want to tweet, right? I mean, that seems like you'd grind to a halt pretty quickly. Um, and I do want to flip that comment a bit, too, when you say not everybody's business-minded. Um, I think that, that that also pertains to NFT project and DAOs generally, and that's a healthy, in my view, that's a healthy skepticism to have also, um, is who's, who's running this thing and, and do they have some business acumen? Because it, it is effectively, I mean, it's an organization that needs to be managed. Right. I think it's no different than any other NFT based project where, you know, that DAO is only as strong as uh, the activity that is in in its membership. Right. And one one thing I just want to bring up, you know, Tim, you were talking earlier about, you know, it's kind of almost a legal gray area. What is a security or financial instrument and what is not? And I think as that becomes clearer, there obviously has to be some concerns of those projects being delisted from something like OpenSea, as we've seen with uh, some communities that have released, uh, released tokens that are outside of the scope of the financial system. And OpenSea saw them as much of a threat that they actually didn't want to be involved, so they removed them from their platform. Um, kind of to go along with that, do you see that being a headwind in the future for DAOs? And if so, what do community members have as a right when something like that happens? I, I suppose when you sign up and you buy this NFT, you, they're not guaranteeing a contract that it remains on OpenSea. And I'm sure OpenSea has some sort of legal uh, jargon when writing contracts and minting tokens on their site. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and you, you know, you're, you started kind of going down a good answer, which was thoughtful on your own, but, but I think you're exactly right. One important thing to keep in mind is that OpenSea is not the be-all, end-all of this technology. So something being pulled down from OpenSea doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does mean that the way that most of the world interacts with NFTs has been now taken away, right? That OpenSea is still, um, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but they've got to still be the most prominent kind of NFT viewing slash browsing slash interacting uh, uh, platform. but 
I think you have a couple things at play there. I think you have OpenSea maybe making some business decisions about their own business reputation and, and what they want to do. I also think they probably have people watching to protect their business because not only do people who issue securities have rules to follow, but securities exchanges have rules to follow. You know, so so if OpenSea is not going to take precautions to either become, may, maybe that's, you know, and, and I don't want to speculate necessarily about their roadmap or their business model, but it seems to me like they're going to have a, an inflection point where they have to decide whether to just not allow stuff like that or whether they take the complete other approach and just go, yeah, we're just going to basically become an exchange where we like jump through all the hoops and, and we'll let you trade whatever because we're going to go out and get all these licenses. I mean, I don't know if that's presently viable and I don't know if they would, you know, it's, it's their business, but, but you're right to identify that as a point where what's going to happen with, with sites like OpenSea if some of these become, um, and some probably already are, right? Again, saying something's a security is something that um, that that analysis can happen anytime, right? You don't. Nobody has to flip a magic switch. Something could, and some NFTs surely already are securities if one looks at them through the right light. But others aren't. And to have platforms like OpenSea also have a completely separate potential set of regulations and, and responsibilities if they're allowing those to flow through them is a whole other concern for them. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I was actually I was just responding to, to JT about um, how, he, you know, they don't want to be a financial exchange. And I assume it's because of, like you said, that legal jargon. But that's one of those things that I never understood. And it, it probably 100 percent a topic for another talk is how that works with NFT staking, because that just seems like the definition of uh, a, like a financial security to me. Right. Well, because you have some level of risk, right, for a staking system to work, you've usually got other parties who are engaged in... So to, to put it generally, right, in order to stake something usually means you're putting it at risk or you're you're putting it somewhere where you're you're taking on some level of risk as an asset holder and in exchange for that risk you're going to receive some type of reward well importantly like there's usually no such thing as free money and so one of the things that needs to be considered with a lot of these systems is the economic viability of their ecosystem if you have a billion tokens out there and they're all sitting in somebody's wallet and there's a billion of them out there. Well, if I pay one cent and I need to make money, how do I make, how, how would one make money on that? Right. I'd have to sell it and I'd have to sell it for more than I paid. Well, so they're all issued. I'm not selling it to the company that made it. I'd be selling it to somebody else. So I'd have paid a cent and somebody else would say, I'll give you 10 cents. And I'd say, done. I'll give you, you give me 10 cents, I'll give you the token I paid one cent for. Well, I made nine cents, that's great. But now that person paid 10. So how are they gonna make money? <laughs> well, they're gonna have to find somebody else who goes, well, I'll give you 20 cents. Well, so how is that sustainable, right? That's only sustainable if there's actual value being created 
and there's some sort of burn, there's some sort of scarcity dynamic, there's an incentive mechanism, there's, there has to be some proof system, something, something has to be there in order to sustain that type of growth. And so I think that's why you see a lot of attention on, you know, there are groups out there experimenting with insurance products and bonds and groups experimenting with staking and lending and really, really innovative and cool ideas. Um, but yeah, but we are still early. And, you know, if any time you're getting a yield and it sounds really high, that money is coming from somewhere, right? Has to be entering the ecosystem somehow, whether it's, um, you know, a supply or demand, you know, change. I don't want to say manipulation because that can have negative uh, connotation. I just mean a change in supply and demand or whether there's an injection of actual value into the ecosystem, some asset or some product, some loan, insurance, interest, whatever, but you're seeing people try to find ways to do that, right? So that the, the, these economies can be m more viable and more value can be created. That was, thank you for, thank you for that. I'm st <laughs> I still, I would still love to take a deeper look at, uh, at staking, uh, and, uh, coins built in staking and, and, um, how, how staking, actual currencies or how staking nfts uh are how they could potentially draw income to pay back to those people because i i, I still can't wrap my head around it so well sometimes it's because some of the systems aren't i don't know let's verb that head wrappable right sometimes that's why other times it's it's you know because there are a lot of different innovations happening right there's really no set way to do it but yeah that could be a great topic for a few so when days. you said that when you say it that way does that just mean they're slowly bleeding money but we're like we're getting some of that that <laughs> blood money out <laughs> not necessarily right um cue the i'm not here to scare you music or whatever we <laughs> exactly we're back to it um, right right <laughs> um but it's it's important right to to look at these as what they are and, and to say okay if let's say somebody found a mechanism to generate a thousand percent yield somehow is that going to be uh wh however they're doing that right <laughs> surely other people see it this is this is um kind of just economics right in general if somebody finds value if somebody finds a way to make a thousand percent a month that innovation will draw their attention. It will draw their competition. There will be other people vying for the same resource that was generating that value, and it'll eventually slowly become commoditized over time, and that value is going to get depleted until it's just the same, right? The, the, the question is, how do, how do you build something, and how do you build something that's sustainable that way? Because the other side of that is if somebody is finding a way to generate that, either they're taking high risk to get that reward, that's another, you know, pretty traditional tenant of market, right? If you take more risk, you can get more reward, but you're taking more risk. And so uh, I guess the best way to look at it is if you, you know, every time I flip a coin, if it's heads, you get a hundred bucks. And if it's tails, you give me a hundred bucks. You could for in the short run, it could look an awful lot like you're, you're doing really well, right? If you get three or four in your favor. But eventually, right, that'll balance mm -hmm. out. And again, now I've deviated from, you know, economics and, to, and tokenomics to luck. And those are very different concepts. But I 
you got if, if you've learned anything by now is that I love to mix metaphors all the time. So it's more <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's more just trying to trying to look at those things as thousand percent yield. How can I lose? And it's more like right, hover on that last one for a minute. <laughs> yes, you know. <laughs> hey, yeah, I just want to say thanks again, Tim. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure, guys. Um, I'm I'm glad to be in the community, and I'm. Obviously, I like talking, so <laughs> I'm, do it. I'm glad that there are people interested in these topics. It's stuff that I um, care a lot about, and so I'm always always down for for these AMAs. And um, yeah, thanks for being active. Thanks for being here and and adding your questions. They add so much to the conversation. So I'm looking forward to next time. Yeah, I think the education and, and these these weird little things versus doing it yourself kind of gives us all a, a, a place and a platform to be able to just kind of bounce those weird questions that I can't just Google and have you have you give us some insight on it, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, because, hopefully I'm at least as accurate as a blind Google. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. We uh, can I tell you the couple of things that I that I Googled um, that you were that you were checking up on, you were right. So it was good. Good, good. I appreciate that. You would do very well on Jeopardy, is what we were saying <laughs> in chat. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to uh, start a campaign or something. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. No, th thanks everybody. Uh, these these are great. It's a good community, and it's my pleasure. So um, yeah, till next time. Awesome. Uh, guys, uh, like Tim said, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. I want to give you guys a little bit of alpha for next week. Um, so we have talked about what our topics are potentially going to be. Uh, if you like these NFT AMA sessions, uh, definitely go into the register role section on Discord and click events. That way, when we talk or I set these up, you can get notified. So two in two weeks, um, are, we're going to have another one of these. And the topics at hand, you guys get to vote on them. So the stuff that interests you, we want to be able to talk about, pose questions. We want you to be able to pose questions. Like I said, have this open forum dialogue about NFTs, about um, about crypto, anything within the space. So the topics that we have or that we've chosen for you guys to kind of vote on uh, in a DAO, no, I'm just kidding, um, are taxes and NFTs, rules and regulations, uh, how can creators leverage NFTs in their business? Uh, mainnets, why are there so many and what's the difference between them? Gas, why does it fluctuate and, and why does it vary in mainnets? And then the battle royale between ERC-20, ERC-721, and ERC-1125. So uh, I'll be putting that uh, poll up uh, probably in the small announcements uh, for you guys to be able to vote on. And like I said, I'll tag the events crew. So you guys can go in and then whatever you pick is what we'll talk about in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Um, Till next time. Till next time, friends. We will talk to you guys soon. See you in chat. This episode of Docs is brought to you by Quarter Machine. Find out more at discord.gg slash quarter machine and our partner, Unnamed Technology at unnamed.technology.